Welcome to Navigating Change, the education podcast from Tybal Inc. I'm Pete Wright, and right here with the, the famous uh, author, uh, Howard Tybal. Famous, famous author. Yeah. Yes. It's it, taking strides, taking strides. That's what we're talking about today. I'm very excited about this episode, mostly because here you go, once again, springing a conversation on me. I didn't even know you were doing this, and yet here we have I, want, I kept it from you. I didn't want, I wanted to surprise uh, you. We are talking, of course, about <laughs> Howard Teibel's uh, new article. It's appearing in the Nakubo Business Officer magazine, monthly magazine. It should be hitting your desks right now. Right now. Check your inbox, people. Go, leave your office, step outside, take yes. a break. Yes. Search for the magazine and see if you can uh, find it. That's what we were asking you to do. What is it called? You don't even know. No, I know what it's called. You know what you want it to be called. I, I know how this it. process works. <laughs> a voice, a vote, or a veto. Oh, that's really catchy. Good. I didn't come up with it. They I, actually, <laughs> actually, I did. One of the uh, interviewees, one of the people in the article. Uh, had used that language, whether he coined it himself, Dick Chait, and then President uh, Martin from St. Edward's University referenced it. But let's talk about the article. And and not why you didn't call me for an interview. Good idea. That's the right. Article, uh, what is the article about? It centers around uh, shared governance. Actually, interestingly, I mean, that, what a loaded term, right? Shared governance. Because if you ask different individuals from different roles in higher education what shared governance means, you're going to get Lots of different views. Let's be clear about what this article is. There's the legal side of shared governance, which lives in this conversation that AGB really is the leader around that conversation, which is the fiduciary responsibility of boards and how the practice of sharing that is distributed across the university. The article is about the human dynamics of shared governance the practice of collaboration, which is something that I know a lot about. And this is something I think is often overlooked and we don't know how to talk about it. It's often the elephant in the room, which is how do we really work together effectively? In this article, you outlined three key concepts. Yeah. Uh, you want to let's let's walk through those three briefly, and then then we'll have people read the whole thing. Okay. Should I do them one by one? Yeah. Let's take them one at a time. Unless you can right. find a way to do them at the same time. <laughs> Whatever your choice. The first concept is distinguishing cooperation from collaboration, and this came from. Initially, when I had read something written by former provost from Susquehanna University, Linda McMillan, and she said, frequently, we, and the we here is faculty and administration, do not perceive ourselves to be collaborators. We encounter each other as adversaries, bound to represent our distinctive groups, and monitor the behavior of the other side. Monitor the behavior of the other side. Thus, we don't negotiate compromise rather than on collaborating to create the most effective solutions. And I think that's an incredibly powerful statement. I'd even go so far as to say it's not just the faculty and administration, it's even the boards. There is a place where all three leadership bodies, the academic, the administrative, and the board leadership are monitoring behavior of the other side and Although much or almost all of the legal responsibility lives with the board, we need to find a way to transition this to be about collaboration. And 
that is elusive. It is hard to do well. And the article sort of takes that apart, and we've got some uh, discussions with some provosts, discussions with some presidents about some strategies that they did on their campus to help break down some of those barriers and create collaborative environments. There seems to be an unspoken philosophical approach to leadership that says, you know, that hidden uh, competition between silos actually creates a balance in the uh, across the institution. And that may be true, but when you unpack it and you look at what the institution is able to accomplish as a result of converting this kind of thinking to a more collaborative approach, I think you are you end up being surprised. Doesn't this remind you also of the nature of our government? Yeah. Right? Right. Think about the complaints we have of our national government in the United States, and our government is accused of not getting things done. Right. And some of it is uh, a function of different parties having different views of what the right outcome should be. In many ways, shared governance is a powerful model when it's working well to ensure that you're relying on the different competencies. So the faculty know more than anybody in the room about teaching and learning mm -hmm. and research. And the administration knows better than anybody about the fiduciary health of the institution. And the boards are responsible fundamentally for the strength and maintaining that strength. And when they're working well together, it's this collective brain that creates a great outcome. The problem is it falls often into politics and power. And making this transition from being, I mean, we can go really either way. There's competition in the leadership model. There, that can skew toward uh, being truly combative. And I think that's what we end up seeing, you know, when you look at our, more of our national model of leadership right now. It's, it's combative. Yes. Uh, and, and so what we're trying to do is, is at least outline what does it look like when you go the other way? Um, let's, exactly. let's move on to concept number two. This uh, right. inspired by our uh, dear friend of the show, Dick Chait. If, if one is about doing a better job of distinguishing cooperation from collaboration, and collaboration really is what we're looking for, there are some principles that underlie that that we all really need to be aware of. And, and the three that he talks about in the article, one is consultation, the second is communication, and the three is explanation. And the fundamental idea behind this is, is that each one of these are a way of measuring whether or not we are uh, making sure that all the parties are engaged in some ways and understand what the nature of the issues we're dealing with. So, so consultation, as you talked about, is fundamentally the opportunity to express one's view. Communication is the opportunity to be updated and informed. And explanation is a commitment to convey the rationale behind the decisions. And what's what I love about these three is it represented as principles that allow all the bodies to recognize, are we standing up to that principle? Are we communicating with people outside of our room? Is the board communicating with the internal leadership uh, what it is that happened they should know about? Are the faculty engaged in sharing back their views or the lack of understanding about the rationale? So these three principles, to be able to consult, the ability to communicate and the ability to explain or convey the rationale are wonderful principles that the leadership bodies can be talking about. In the article, we go into more detail about that. 
How does that lead into concept number three, means versus ends? The means versus ends is the following. I think sometimes we undervalue process. So the journey versus the destination. And in one particular case uh, in this article, one of the examples that we have a president talking about is the fact that he used the development of the strategic plan as a way to strengthen shared governance, right? So if you think of a strategic plan, there is the end product, which is, you know, here's our strategy, here's our goals, and here's how we're going to get there. But if you think about it from the point of view of the journey of developing this, he used the strategic planning process as a way to bring the right parties together to then have a means to have the right kind of dialogue, but then to use that to strengthen the principles around shared governance and to clarify, here's what the board's responsible for, here's what the faculty we need from you, and here's how administration's gonna contribute. And all three bodies were part of this process associated with developing the next strategic plan. So means versus ends can be a powerful tool to get people to engage in something. And I think we undervalue the idea of of the journey and what we learn along the way versus just thinking the end product really is the point. So how did you craft this story? Who did you pull from in, in your community to help you uh, illuminate this particular story? Yeah, I'll tell you role-wise, and then people can read these, because we, we, it was great, because we, we, we probably talked to five or six folks, and they ranged from a couple of business officers, we talked to two provosts, we talked to uh, a number of board, board members, and uh, a college president and got their perspective on this question of shared governance, how they define it, what they find of value. And then the conversation evolved as well as the article evolved as we started getting back input from folks. So my hope is that when people read it, especially business officers, because this is who it was targeted for, they're going to be able to take back some of these concepts to enlighten not just their area, but use it as a way to look for ways to be even more collaborative across the aisle. We also have a, a really great chart in it that breaks down the way we see each other. So the views of how board members often view uh, faculty and how faculty often view uh, administration. And it, it's a way to sort of talk about the things that are often difficult to talk about. So it's, it, was, it was one of my most exciting uh, kinds of conversations. I'm really indebted to Nakubo for giving me the opportunity to write this. And I'm just thrilled that, uh, that it's out there. Any uh, surprises on your part in going through the process? Any any big lessons learned that changed the way you think about some That's of this stuff? That's a great stuff? question. Yeah, there was. And I'll tell you what, this is sort of like lifting up the covers. I think a big surprise was is that because there was so much and there is so much already written about this, that to write something that is of value to business officers, uh, I think was challenging. We got three quarters of the way through it and discovered that it had almost too, too, too academic a focus, right? A historical focus as opposed to what are some strategies that you can use uh, around shared governance? And I think one of the dilemmas often is uh, there's a bit of a... Um, 
question like who owns this thing and it's not really treated as a shared process it's treated that it comes down from on high and in many ways i think the nature of how boards operate really demands that they demonstrate leadership but they also need to do a better job of being inclusive to really be interested and engage in the community and i think that we found i found myself probably three quarters of the way through saying we need to rethink uh specific examples that business officers could, could take away because it started off a little bit too academic and not something that people could actually take and 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 have specific tasks they can bring back to their institution but we weave that in as a result so that that was a bit of a surprise but you know we pivoted and uh, working with their editor was fantastic uh, as we're talking about this it is it should be hitting desks should like in be the hitting next desks. days yeah. right? and as i understand so. it it's you know it's out there for a good month uh, on uh, paper you know in the magazine and then it goes online and we'll obviously let people know when it's online yeah. uh, so people can read it because I think it's uh, it's an area that I want to invest more of my time in is breaking down those silos between the leadership bodies and I'll say one final thing Pete what we have to remember in all of this is the one group that often gets left out of this conversation is the students but what's fascinating, fascinating about this is there is a student government, but fundamentally, there isn't an expectation that student government be involved in the quote-unquote traditional shared governance. And I think some schools do go out of their way to engage them to learn about what they want. So what I would say to all of us, and this is a reminder for me too, is we've got to remember to put students first in our conversations uh, because it's so easy to forget that all of this dialogue among adults who sort of treat with passion these institutions, uh, sometimes we can forget that we have to find out, are we really serving the students the way we expect? And, and I think we have to go out of our way to ask. We got to go out of our way to engage and involve. And that's an area, I think, for all of us to grow. Great lesson, Howard. Uh, congratulations on getting this thing out the door. I know that's a, another a big project off your plate. You got to be of a little, love. little bit relieved. Yeah, yeah I, I lost yeah. 10 pounds after, you know, the last few words I wrote. Oh, I should write an article then. <laughs> hey, you thanks. Look, you look great. Thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening as ever. On behalf of Howard Tybel, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next week right here at Navigating Change, the education podcast from Tybel, Inc. Mm -hmm.